Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. If you don't know, John 9 is a scene where Jesus is actually going to heal a blind man. And so if you're following along in the app, you see this is titled Jesus and the Blind Man, which got me thinking about a buddy of mine uh, that I used to work with who um, I knew him for like, I think months. We'd worked together for months, done the usual work together stuff. And then one day he fills me in that he's colorblind. I'm like, oh, cool, yeah, no big deal, right? Because I didn't know this, I Googled it, so it must be true. It turns out there's like 300 million people in the world give or take, who are colorblind. And, and what that generally means for like 95% of those people is they can't see the green and red spectrum. Uh, and so the way they see their world is just very different. Are you guys totally gripped right now <laughs> by colorblindness, right? Well, here's why this is interesting is that this guy, so, so one in 12 guys is colorblind, by the way, which means there's at least a few of us in the room who are colorblind. One in 200 women, which might explain guy eyes, to a lot of you ladies, right? It could just be colorblindness. It might not be, you know, them being a little slower than ladies, but who's, who's saying? Anyway, um, so this guy, though, turns out I, I, like 95% of colorblind people, they just have that green-red spectrum thing, which is, you know, a pain, but it's not like the end of the world. This buddy of mine, he has this really, really ultra-rare version of colorblindness, which is like devastatingly bad. Like he, it's like hardcore monochromatic. All the cones in his eyes that process color are like busted and it's really hard. Now he's telling me this months after working together about how like, yeah, it's super hard for him to drive and sometimes he can't tell which light, which color the light is. I'm like, bro, you drove me to lunch like yesterday. <laughs> like why, why are we just now finding out about this, right? Which got me thinking about how does a guy find out he's colorblind? Like when does that happen? How do you figure that out? Have you had that? Have you ever wondered about that? Like, whoa. How many of you right now are wondering, am, am, am I colorblind? <laughs> Good news, we're gonna find out, all right? I thought for a public service announcement for everybody getting in cars with everybody else, we should do a quick colorblind test today. Is, are you guys okay with that? All right, so uh, I'm gonna put on the screen this relatively well-known test for colorblindness. You've probably seen it on Facebook and taken it already or something, but this is a legit test, okay? So this is gonna show you some circles, and uh, if you have healthy eyes, you should be able to see numbers in each of these circles, okay? So together, I want you to, to look at these circles, and let's start with the, what I think is the easiest one. Tell me what number you see with this circle. Good, all right. Uh, let's go a little bit harder. How about uh, that one? That, are you sure? I heard a little mumbling. There's some folks who are like, wait a minute. All right. All right. Let's go. Let's go harder. How about this one? Good. Because from this angle, I can't tell. All right. 45. I think you're good. Okay, good. All right. So if you can see those and all of these, chances are you're not fully colorblind unless you're part of that like ultra rare group. All right, so it's entirely possible no one in this room has that. We're talking about like 5% out of 300 million, you know, you should be fine. Um, if you can't see the number in this circle, though, this next one, we should have a conversation. You ready? Anybody? Trick question, right? I totally made this up. Uh, the colorblind test, the original one is good. This one, I made that up. I just got that off the internet somewhere, and there's literally nothing in there. But... Uh, were you worried? Were you worried? Who will admit? 
at that moment, you're like, it's, it's me, it's me, right? And so that's what I wondered about with this dude, like this buddy of mine. When was that moment when he realized not only is something wrong, something's very, very wrong. I can't, I can't see what, I, what everybody else can see. See, I had a moment like that on a different spectrum. Uh, a few months back, uh, my wife and I, we've been married 20 years, and we, uh, you know, are perfect. So we have no problems with our marriage. <laughs> Uh, also not true, did not look that up on the internet. Um, and so, you know, after about 20 years, we kind of had this sense that there's some things we need to work on. We weren't sure quite what they were. We couldn't put our thumb on it, but there's just some things off. And so we started go, uh, the program here we call Reengage, which is a, a ministry to help people just tune up their marriage, go from like, hey, we're about to get divorced to, to working, that, uh, working on that, or even just people who just, something's off and they want to work on it. So Gwen and I, we went in to reengage and not, didn't take long. Oh, and at the beginning, they have you rate your marriage, Right? So we were healthy and humble, and we just gave ourselves a good, strong eight, right? We're like, that's a good, mature rendering of how we feel about ourselves. Uh, <laughs> we got to this section where they talked about uh, these indicators uh, that there's a little something off in you, all right? It's, if, you've, if you've been in reengage, you know the term weenie, don't be a weenie, right? And weenie stands for withdraw, escalate, negatively interpret, or invalidate, right? Those are things that we tend to bring into relationships. And guys, it was like this moment. It was like taking this test. I see the circle. Cool. See the circle. Cool. See the circle. Wait, what? That, I don't see anything. So like I had this like blindness moment when, when we came to negatively interpret. And guys, it was devastating. Like devastating. Because not only did I realize that for 20 years, I've been looking at my wife as this person who just continues to not love me well. And like, what's wrong with me that she keeps this and she keeps that and she keeps this. And what I realized is the whole time, I just didn't hear her correctly. I, she was saying, I love you a thousand ways to Sunday. And all I heard was negativity. And the problem was me. I was blind, so like not only am I not receiving from her what she's trying to give, like I'm dishing back this weird sideways passive aggression garbage. Is it just me? Uh, please tell me. I mean, I'd be honestly, it's probably okay if it's just me because you, you don't want to deal with that. But like that moment of just catastrophic blindness to my own brokenness, to the world as it is, it was devastating. Man, that eight rating had to go down real fast, real hard. So why do I bring that up for you? Because honestly, um, I have to tell you, I think I have to say some hard things to us today. Because listen, I, maybe, maybe it's you as an individual. Maybe it's you as an individual who doesn't realize how blind you are to the world around you when it comes to, to, to your sin. I don't know if it's you as an individual, but I gotta tell you, I have a burden for our church and for the church in America and the church in the world. And, and the word that I would attach to that burden is the religious spirit. This idea that we can, that, 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 that we're fine. It's the Christian F word. Fine, you hear it all the time. I'm fine, we're fine, you're fine, I'm fine. We're all fine. And we come in here and, and we have these experiences together and we validate ourselves and we feel like we're fine and we just don't want, we just can't see or we don't want to see how unfine we really are. And what makes it even worse is what happens with that religious spirit, that blindness that we have to our own brokenness 
is that we can so often translate it into, into a judging other people based on the standards that we use to validate ourselves. I'm just laying all my cards down right at the beginning. And the end result for the church in America that I see over and over and over and over again is that the people who, are the cl- who see themselves, the world sees them as the closest to God, are the most blind to him and what he really is like and what he really cares about. And just like we saw in John chapter 7 and 8, the people who wear the, 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 the religious garb, who do the religious things, who stand carrying the name of Christ, end up not only being a barrier to the world and, and its ability to see God, but end up becoming tools of the enemy. I don't want that. I don't want to be complicit with that. I don't want that to be me, and I don't want that to be us. Religious people walking around wearing the Jesus t-shirt, but totally blind to the God right in front of their face. So here's my question. How would you know if that was you? If you were colorblind, how would you know? And if you're spiritually blind, how would you know? Is there a chance it's you? Are you willing to at least come there with me right now? Is there a chance that you are blind spiritually, self-righteous, and a barrier to people knowing Jesus? I want to take that question to John chapter 9. Would you go there with me? John chapter 9. And we're going to see what Jesus does with spiritual blindness. And he's going to do it first with a guy who's actually physically blind. If you were with us last week, you saw that John chapter 8, Jesus is walking out of a melee. Literally, if you look at John chapter 8, verse 59, it says, Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus and his disciples went out of the temple. So Jesus is walking away from an assassination attempt. What you, if you haven't been part of the series, understand that we're still dealing with Jesus' public ministry before he shifts into sort of a private ministry with his disciples, and then he shifts into his passion. And we're coming down to the end of his public ministry when things are getting hot. People are getting angry at Jesus. Religious people are getting angry at Jesus to the point that they don't want him around, and they actually want to kill him. Spiritual blindness is running rampant, and it's getting dangerous. And that's the situation when Jesus and his disciples in 9 verse 1, they walk past a blind man. And his disciples ask Jesus a question. Mind you, this is a Sabbath day that'll come up big later. It's a Sabbath day. Jesus was about to get killed and they walk past a blind man. And I don't know if the disciples, their adrenaline's just up and they're trying to calm themselves down with a nice, uh, I don't know, theological question. I don't understand why they ask this question, but they do. And the question is this in verse 2. It says, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. That's the question that John chapter 9 revolves around, is who sinned. So before we go any further, what you need to understand is what we just launched into is a story in this entire chapter that's going to be broken into three scenes, all right? And these verses kick off the first scene. The, the three scenes I want you to see here are uh, nine through, uh, 1 to 12 is a divine crime. These are just titles that I throw on it because I'm weird and I need titles, right? So 1 through 12, there's a divine crime that's about to happen in this scene. And it revolves around this question of who sinned. The next section, 13 to 34, we're going to see a kangaroo court. Uh, just just a, a joke of a court that's about to happen. Jesus is going to go on trial. And then in 35 to 41, we're going to see a vital verdict. 
So, not, so 9, 1 to 12, the divine crime, or if you're like me, you think, whose crime is it anyway? Uh, um, this is what's about to happen. The, the, the question is, who sinned? Who sinned? This man or his parents? Which is such a weird and broken question. See, what's the problem? The problem here is that the disciples, they don't see the person. They see the problem the person represents. And the disciples are the first image we get, the first glimpse we get of spiritual blindness in this moment. The people closest to Jesus, they're amped up, sure, but their first impulse when they see a blind man begging by the side of the road, they've walked with Jesus for how long? They've seen him, his priority for how long? What's Jesus' priority gonna be in this scene? You already know. The person. But the disciples are locked into this religious spirit. They're locked into this perspective. And their question is, who sinned to cause this suffering? And Jesus' answer is really compelling. He says this. In verse three, he answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So where the disciples have sort of this judgment perspective, this question of scrutiny, Jesus has compassion. Where the disciples don't see a person, Jesus sees the person. And he kind of blows up their question. It's not that he ignores it, he actually answers it. And his answer to the question of who sinned is this, I am the light of the world, watch this. His, his, question, his answer kind of pushes their question aside, pushes their blindness aside, and turns on the lights. And he says, I am the light of the world. And then this is what he does. He spits, which is weird. He makes mud and he puts it on this dude's eyes and he gives this guy some instructions. Before we get into why he's doing all this, let me just say this. Here's what Jesus just basically said to them. When their their concern is the sin, his concern is the person, Basically, what he's saying is that he's more concerned about the person, uh, salvation, than the sin. He's not concerned about the sin of this man. He's concerned about his salvation. And that's really the question I want to ask myself when I'm reading this text, and I want you to ask yourself. Who are you more concerned about when you're confronted with the sin of others? What are you more tied up with? What gets you amped up? The sin of others or their need for salvation. What Jesus demonstrates in response to their question is movement. Instead of a theological discussion, instead of where they want to go with it, he demonstrates compassion. But there's something else I want you to see in the text. I want you to see what the blind man does because you could miss this. This is very much about Jesus moving. Jesus is the one speaking. Jesus is the one doing. But I want you to ask yourself a question. If you're blind, you've been begging on the side of the street for I don't know how long, and some dude walks up with his buddies, you can kind of hear that, right? (laughs) You hear him say something weird like, I'm the light of the world, and then you hear him hack a loogie, (laughs) right? You hear it hit the mud, and you hear him working it with his hands. What are you thinking? Bro better not touch me, right? And then he does. 
Like, I can see, I was just sitting over there about 20 minutes ago, and my buddy Mike comes up, and he grabs my ear to fix this thing, and I about fell out of my chair, right? Imagine being blind, and some guy you don't know comes up and does that to you. What's your response to that? Self-defense, freaking out. Don't touch me with that nastiness, right? But this blind man doesn't do it, so quietly without words, pay attention to what he does. He lets Jesus touch him. What does he see that I don't see? He has an encounter with Jesus and there's something about Jesus, there's something about the way that he's talking, the way that he's moving with his disciples that this blind man allows him not just to touch him but to rub spitty mud in his eyes. And then Jesus tells him, hey, get up. Hey, remember he's blind. Get up and go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And he doesn't say why. Guys, the blind man in his encounter with Jesus sees something without his eyes. And it's evidenced by his faith, his willingness to do something ultra counterintuitive, to lean in to the presence of Jesus, lean in to the command of Jesus, and do what Jesus has asked him to do, even though it's radically counterintuitive. And so you've got this blind man and you've got the disciples and you've got Jesus in the middle and this really strong, strong reality. See, in their close proximity to Jesus, the disciples missed him. Hear me. In their close proximity to Jesus, the disciples missed his heart. Well, the blind man encountered him in a way that changed his life. So I want to give you a spiritual eye exam. This text, this this portion of the text gives us an opportunity for a spiritual eye exam to see if we're spiritually blind. And so everybody put your left hand over your eye. And I want you to read this with me, okay? Eye exam number one, am I more focused on people's sin or their salvation? You can bring your hand down. (laughs) Am I more focused on people's sin or their salvation? When I read this text, if I'm dirty honest with myself, am I the one looking at the problem people present to me or the person and their need for salvation in Christ? That's scene one, the divine crime. So the answer to the question, who sinned? Jesus actually did something strange that that I want to show you here before we move to scene two. Remember, it's Sabbath, right? So what are you not supposed to do on Sabbath? Anybody know? You're supposed to not work. Sabbath is a time for rest. You're not supposed to work. And the Bible makes that clear. That's God's will. That's God's intention for Sabbath, right, for, for, the, for these folks. But the Pharisees, the religious uh, uh, powerful, the people closest to God, they added rules. And their decision, their idea was that if God says this, then we don't want to even get close to that standard and, uh, and breaking that rule. And so they added rule after rule after rule. So there's actually a rule in the, in the additional law, not God's word, the additional law that they added that you're not allowed to make dough or knead clay, K-N-E-A-D, knead clay on the Sabbath because that would qualify as work. So if you ever wondered why Jesus hacked a loogie in the mud and made clay, you know why he did it? I don't think it was just to be weird or to gross this dude out. What he says four times in in, uh, verses three and four, he uses the word work. 
He says, it was neither this man's sin nor his parents, but so that the work of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. So if I'm one of the disciples, dudes were just about to kill us with stones for this business. And Jesus, I ask a question, all of a sudden it's Sabbath and I hear Jesus say work four times. What's happening? The PTSD is kicking in. I'm like, oh no, what's about to happen? And then he actually works by their standards. He, he needs the dough. He's very clearly sticking his thumb in the eye of the religious establishment who's so sure they can see. Jesus is saying, look, this is not about sin. This is about salvation. This is not about people who somehow feel like they don't need salvation. This is about people who know they need help. And so he sticks his thumb in the eye of the religious establishment, the rules. And my question for you is, what rules have you got in your world that you're using to validate yourself? What do you do when Jesus breaks your rules? Have you found yourself asking the question I, or, or, or making the statement, I just can't believe in a God who would dot, dot, dot. Or a God who wouldn't dot, dot, dot. What are the rules in your world that God is, continues to break? Because that's what Jesus is doing here. Is he's sticking his thumb in the eye of the religious establishment to make this point. And so the only crime that occurs in, in this entire chapter, ostensibly, is a crime that God commits, according to their standards. And that's what triggers the next scene. And the next scene we're going to call a kangaroo court, or honestly and very directly and very boldly, how good people go to hell. Because this is what happens. The establishment, the disciples, the religious elite, the crowd around this, the, around this blind man. Not once do you see anyone congratulate the blind man for his healing. What they're tied up with is this, oh my goodness, did this guy just break our critical rule? What's going on? And so there's this blind guy, he gets healed, and the crowd's response is not celebration. It's, whoa, 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 we need to go talk to the religious elite and figure out what just happened here. And that's what they do. So they take him before the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day. And so in verses uh, 13 to 34, there's this protracted trial. See, what you may not realize, spoiler alert, at the end of this book, Jesus goes on trial and he's crucified on trumped up charges. And he goes to an official court with these same people. But prior to that, here in John 9, what we're gonna see is sort of a pre-trial, a mock trial. And it's a mess. God commits this crime according to the religious laws. He heals a guy on Sabbath using mud. And so, he, so, so Jesus disappears off the scene. And so this blind dude is brought in as a witness in front of the religious establishment. And this happens in three moves. They, they, they use him as a witness. They grill him really hard. They don't get what they want. So they take his parents in and they grill them really hard. They don't get what they want. And they bring the blind man back and they go through the whole rigmarole again, Right? And what you need to understand about this text is that it is craziness. It's this really long, protracted uh, image of confusion. And so there's a couple things that just indicate that. You're going to see here that there's like 11 different times the word knowledge. No, I know, we know, we don't know, we do know happens throughout this text. And the effect is that everyone's talking about what's true or what they think is true, and everyone's just wrong. 
This court is a kangaroo court. It's all over the map. No one really knows what they're talking about. And then nine times you're going to see throughout this chapter this issue of sin. This is really just all about sin. Who broke the rules? What are the rules that are broken? And how did he break them? And why? And how do we deal with this rule breaker, Jesus? But make no mistake, what this kangaroo court is fundamentally doing is it's making a declaration that God just sinned. God's people are putting God on trial for sinning. How broken is that? How blind is that? See, once again, you've got a group of people, religious people, who can't see the person past the problem that that person presents to them. They're caught up in their construct about what it means to know and be close to God. And you're gonna see that with the Pharisees. uh, There's so much we can say about this chapter. I'm just gonna focus you in on a couple key verses that help you understand what's going on here. And the first is this. Uh, If you look at chapter nine, verse 15, the Pharisees were asking him again how he received his sight. They're grilling the blind man. They're not saying, hey, congratulations. They're not saying, hey, what's it like to be healed? They're not saying, wow, how do I get some of that? They're not saying any of those things. The entire fixation of the Pharisees throughout and their attitude shows it is how did this happen? How was, how did he move and how did he heal you? They're worried about the method. Look at verse 926. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? The reason for that is this. They're trying, they're litigating. They're, they're not concerned about a miracle. They're concerned about whether this person's really from God according to our perspective. Can we accept this guy? And they've already decided they can't. And so they're trying to find a technicality. To them, this whole thing is invalid. This miracle miracle is invalid because of how it was done. Sit on that for a second. This miracle right in front of our face couldn't possibly be valid simply because it breaks a religious rule we have. That's who you're dealing with, with the Pharisees. And so they demonstrate spiritual blindness. So at the end, at the, ultimately, at the end of the day, the question is who sinned and, and what was that sin? And what you'll notice throughout the entire chapter is the blind man, no one ever comes up with a sin that would have caused his blindness. The person on trial is Jesus, and they're trying to, and, and they, they think that he's sinned. But I want you to see something. What, what the real sin is in this chapter, what I really want to impress on us as a body, is self-righteousness. Spiritual blindness, the sin in this text, self-righteousness or spiritual blindness, is a me-centered belief system that allows me to validate myself and vilify others. Spiritual blindness that wake-up moment for me in this text is realizing that I have a me-centered belief system. I call it Christ. I call it Christianity. I grew up in the culture. I don't know about you. And it allows me to, to validate myself. And it's from that space that I vilify or talk down to or, or judge, get frustrated with others. You see it every election season. You see it anytime somebody walks in the room that makes us uncomfortable. 
You see it in the way that we present ourselves and the way that we walk through our world. That makes people far from Jesus extremely uncomfortable. You see it in the language that we use. Insider language. We see it in a culture that says there's an in and there's an out. There's an us and there's a them. A culture that sees the problem that broken people present rather than the people themselves and their need for Christ. Who see an engagement, an encounter with Christ that we had at some point as somehow a pass that puts me in a different category of other people. The sin in this chapter that comes out so boldly and so clearly in this second scene is a sin of self-righteousness. And it's spiritual blindness. This is your moment. This is the circle on the screen where you can't see the number and you just don't want to admit it to yourself. This is what's hard about this text for me and probably why I've been wrestling with it for so hard for like three weeks now. This is the eye exam moment. See, in contrast to that, you've got this blind man. If you read through this chapter, you'll see there's some really strong statements that the, 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 uh, the uh, Pharisees make that, valif- that, that help us see that this is their perspective on things. You're seeing them revile. They reviled him. They're vilifying him. How does that come out of an encounter with Jesus? You're gonna see them saying, uh, you were born entirely in sins as though somehow that doesn't also apply to them. You see them validating themselves with their frame of reference, their religious frame of reference, and you see them vilifying the blind man. In contrast to that, though, you've got this blind man, and he's got a completely different perspective of things. A guy who saw Jesus without his eyes in such a way that he allowed him to touch him. And he came back from that experience seeing with his life radically changed physically and internally. And so in contrast to the uh, spiritual blindness, you're gonna see this blind guy with a perspective that recognizes that Jesus is more concerned about our salvation than our sin. An experience of that. And that value is gonna carry him through this conversation over and over and over again. He's gonna have these interactions where he's being brutalized by the religious people. He's being brutalized by the people who would say they're the closest to God, who are blind to God. And watch his attitude as you read through this text, and you're going to see him say some interesting things. You're going to see him demonstrate spiritual sight as opposed to spiritual blindness. You're going to see him demonstrate that he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and you're going to see him share it with others. Let me show you. In chapter 9, verse 25, You see him say this, whether Jesus is a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's all he knows. The Pharisees, in contrast, over and over again, are going to say, we know, we know. We know that this man is a sinner. We know that Moses spoke to us. You're going to see him say that kind of thing. This dude's just like, I don't know. I don't know. He's not trying to validate himself. He doesn't need to. His validation comes from the fact that he had an encounter with Jesus that solved a whole lot of things that he knew were wrong with him. Says, and then look at this, 927, probably my favorite line in the entire chapter. He's being brutalized by these people. And I think maybe there's a hint of sarcasm here. But look at what he says. He says, why do you, do you want to hear it again? You're grilling me over and over, asking the same questions. All I can tell you is what I know. He says, you don't want to become his disciples too, do you? He's inviting. Guys, this is spiritual sight. This is a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. All he knows is what happened to him. 
And he's inviting people into that. Can you see the difference? Listen, if you're in the room, you don't have to know it all. You don't have to know all of your theology. You don't have to know up and down. The question is, have you had an encounter with Jesus that has healed you, that has changed you? Testify. That's all you see this guy doing. And it's a radical, wild collision of two different groups of people. People who are so sure they know, someone who doesn't bother worrying about whether or not he has all the facts straight. And you see spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. So I examine number two. I won't make you cover your eye this time. Am I validating myself, vilifying others, or am I testifying about a real life change that's actually happened in my life? Am I validating myself? Am I vilifying, judging, casting disparaging comments on the sin of others? Am I focused on other people's issues? Or am I wrapped up in testifying to actual life change from an encounter with Jesus. So that's scene two. And the third scene is kind of this conclusion, this basic idea uh, of a vital verdict. We had the divine crime, Jesus breaks the rules. We have this kangaroo court where he's on trial, the blind man is a witness, and what really comes out in that trial is that the only sin that we see in this text is the sin of self-righteousness. The people with the gavel are the people who are actually wrong. The judge is the defendant. That's what you see in this text. And so then we come down to the vital verdict. These last few verses, verse 35, listen, I want you to see something special. Jesus comes and finds the blind man. The blind man gets cast out because he's not telling the religious establishment what they want to hear, and Jesus goes and finds him. Because Jesus is more concerned about our salvation than our sin. He's more concerned about the one who sees than the one who tells himself that he, can't, that, that, he, that he can see. Look at what he says in verse 35. Jesus heard that they put him out, and finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've both seen him, and he's the one who's talking with you. This is the first time this guy actually laid his physical eyes on Christ. Up to this point, all he has seen is his experience, his encounter with the eyes of his heart. And now he gets to see him with his physical eyes. And Jesus, mind you, said, you have seen him. Prior to his eyes working, he says, you have seen me. And now you're looking at me. It's such a strong statement. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? I love this. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And then Jesus makes a strong statement. He says, for, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. He draws that line right down the middle. He says, I am the light of the world at the beginning of this chapter. And this is a parallel statement. And when the light turns on, it exposes something very stark. It exposes people who can actually see and separates them from people who think they can see. And you see it in the way they respond to Christ. And you're gonna see the Pharisees make this wild statement, this sarcastic statement. They say, we're not blind too, are we? What's the answer to that? What's the answer to that question? But Jesus answers it. 
He says in verse 40, 41, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. He says it to them, he says it to us. So what's his diagnosis? What's the verdict in the end? Who's guilty in this kangaroo court? Who's guilty? Who stands before God unjustified, unsaved, unhealed? The one who thinks they don't need it. So we took two spiritual eye exams. Let me give you the, 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 the final um, diagnosis. We all need help with our blindness. We all need help with our blindness. All of us. And I think you know that. I think if you take those eye exams and if you process John chapter nine, I think you know that. I think you've got moments just like me in your life where you realize I'm operating out of a religious frame of reference that allows me to validate myself, that justifies vilifying others rather than operate. And I'm operating out of a frame of reference that doesn't see the people that need Christ, just the problem they present to me, which is a really, really hard thing to absorb. So what do you do if you're blind? What do you do if you take the test and realize, I can't see? You look to Christ. See, what's happening right now in this room is Jesus is coming up to you and he's spitting in the mud and he's about to try to put something on your eye. And the question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Do you continue to insist that you can see if God's breaking your rules, he's challenging your heart and he's challenging the way you approach him and the way you approach others, how do you respond to that? You let him put his fingers on your eyes. You go back to the gospel. See, two years ago, I realized that I had some serious blindness in my, eye, in, in, in my life. I was allowing some massive sin to be a part of my life on a regular basis. I was taking James 5.16 as a suggestion, not a command, to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so I was hiding a pornography addiction. All the while, standing there as though I was fine, 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 fine. Judging my wife for not loving me the way I expected. Insisting that I could see And so what I did was uh, when the Lord convicted me, when he offered the mud, by his grace, I responded. And part of that process was I went to a ministry here we call Regeneration Recovery Ministry. The first three, whoop, yep, first three steps of Regeneration Recovery Ministry are what I want to leave you with today. What do you do if you're blind? You quit your slideshow. There you go. First three steps of recovery. We admit that we're powerless over our addictions, our brokenness, and sinful patterns, that in our power, our lives are unmanageable. That's a thumb in the eye of the religious establishment. It's a thumb in the eye of the I'm fine ethic. And we believe, we come to believe that God is the one whose power can fully restore us. We see with our spiritual eyes. We open those eyes, and then we trust. We decide to trust God with our lives and our wills by accepting his grace through Jesus Christ. What does that look like for you? I think it looks like a conversation. If you're sitting in the room and you take the test and you have to come to the conclusion that I am blind, I'm complicit, I'm part of this problem, have a conversation. 
There's gonna be people in the back after this service that would love to have that conversation with you. I would love to have that conversation with you to introduce you to the Jesus who can open your eyes and help you see. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.